This is such a great privilege to be here this morning. I cannot imagine to be anywhere else right now. I'm serious. And I can be places that my wife knows that I like to be, but this is the best play, place to be right now. Bienvenidos a cada uno de ustedes. Welcome to each one of you this morning. It's a wonderful pleasure to have you in the house of God this morning. I just wanted to start with this little thought and reflection. Do you consider yourself blessed? Hallelujah. Don't tell no one, but you're a better group than the first one. It's so awesome when you when you when you see that response of people like that right away. And I and I want to take this thought a little further. Listen up. Reflect on your family. Reflect on your kids and your wife, your husband, the structure, the house, the house that you have, your property. Take a second. I'm going to ask the question again. Are you feel blessed? Oh, nasty or convincing. Let me go far away a little bit more. How about if you check your checking account, your investments? And let's go a little farther. How about you have a Wonderful help. ¿Te consideras blessed? ¿Te consideras bendecido en esta mañana? Do you consider yourself blessed? Oh, you should jump from your seat and say, Amen. (laughs) It's so amazing. So amazing. Um, The Lord is putting in my heart to be tenseful. The scripture says be tenseful all the time. Because this is what pleased the Lord. And I want to be obedient in that. I want to be tenseful to God, first of all. And maybe you ask why. I want to share why. Because God has been so faithful to me. has been faithful to me these six years. He's been a great provider. He's been um, carrying me in his hands through, through this journey these six years with, when I moved to Walla Walla with knowing no one here. Now I have a new friends. Ahora que me he cambiado para Walla Walla, no solamente no conocía a nadie, ahora tengo muchos buenos amigos aquí. Muchos buenos hermanos. Es vitenso es just because not only with God that is the principle, the most important principle that I have to admit, but I got to be tense with the church. Necesito ser agradecido con la iglesia. Ustedes, no el edificio, nada de building. That, that is a great blessing to have the building, of course. Es una buena bendición tener el edificio, sí. Pero I want to be so thankful in public for each one of you. That you guys being so patient with us. Uh, praying for us. Being faithful with us. Even when things doesn't look great, you stick with us to this moment. But let me tell you something this morning. You've been investment for the kingdom of God. Did you, did you ever thought about that? That whatever you're doing and 
This ministry is for the kingdom of God, and this, what you invest in, is not just for retirement, but it is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Never ends. Es para siempre, para siempre. Esta inversión que estamos haciendo es para siempre. Nunca, nunca se termina. I want to I want to be thankful to the church for not just only for the faithfulness for the prayers but for the love for the showing love that you guys have been showing to us. Thank you so much. From the bottom of my heart in behalf of the church that I represent You don't even imagine how much it means to us. But thank you for those that not only support the kingdom physically, materially, but the most important thing for me right now in my position is your prayers. I know you pray for me. You pray for my wife. You pray for my kids. Yo no pudiera estar aquí en esta mañana con ustedes si las oraciones de ustedes no están conmigo. I cannot be here if you guys don't be praying for me. I cannot, period. But thank you so much for that. For the love, for the showing love that you guys have been sharing with us. This is so awesome. I don't know about you guys, but this is so great. To have two cultures together is sometimes even one is can be a nightmare. <laughs> but imagine two together, oh my goodness, can be can be can be a disaster. But I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters. I know we're going through a lot of right now as a local church. But I want to encourage you this morning to keep praying. I give thanks to the leadership of this church. They're wonderful men. But I'm included in that group. And we need God. I've got to say it again. We need God. We need to seek his presence, his guidance for the well-being of the church. If really we want this church to succeed to the next generation, we need this leadership to be close with God. More than ever. We're facing really crucial times. Like a, my brother's American says, we must, right now we feel like the balls, they're tight, very tight, and they're getting tightened, almost to crouch. But I think uh, God wants to rescue us. He wants to show us that he's in control. Amen. I want to share a passage that God has given me to me, and I want to share it to you this morning. Second Peter, Second Peter, chapter one, verse two to verse six to verse eight. Excuse me. There are only six verses, but I want to share it with you. This is in my heart. I want to share it because. I really consider myself that I'm very, 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 very blessed. 
much. I might don't have the money that you have, but I feel very, 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 very blessed. Why? Because what God has been done to me in these six years, I cannot do it by myself. I reflect on that thought and just thinking and say, God, you've been all this journey with me. I hope you reflect Today, maybe go back to your home or wherever you're going to go back. Sit down and have a meal with your family and reflect about your blessings. Because if you not do that, you're going to be bitter. You're going to be sour. You're going to be a complainer, a whiner. And then you're going to start seeing shadows everywhere. So I recommend strongly that you must take a second with your spouse, with your family. And like the scripture says, count your blessings. And we have a lot, trust me. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's read the scriptures. Grace and peace be your in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Who call us by his own glory and Goodness, through this, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, to your faith goodness, into the goodness, knowledge, into the knowledge, self-control, into the self-control, perseverance, into perseverance, godliness, into godliness, brotherly kindness. Into brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities, increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. You know that I've wrestled so much to what I'm going to share with you this morning. And I'm going to tell you why. Be honest with you this morning. And I asked the Lord and said, what I can share with the Anglo church? Lord, they know pretty much everything. <laughs> what I can share with and the Lord give me peace to share these scriptures with you. And I want to finish with this encouragement this morning. And with the testimony of God, what he's doing through us. In Walla Walla and through the Spanish life that Maria, my son and I, we've been using by his grace. We don't deserve it. Really. And we're not trying to put like a we have it together because we're not. Okay, you listen to me? We're not. We're vulnerable. We need God. I need God. And the reason I share this passage with you is because I think more than ever in the church... 
We need brother kindness, love. We need godliness. We need goodness. And about all, I think we need his love. It's not amazing that God says that when you come to the altar, bring your thanksgivings, your offerings, and your petition and your needs. And come humbly to the altar and lay down yourself and sacrifice to him. So this morning, you leave everything other side and you come to the house of the Lord to praise him, to adore him, to please him. And I hope the Lord encourages you this morning that what you're doing is not in vain. You're sowing for the eternity. You might don't see the investments here in this early time. But for sure, according to the scriptures, you will be so great when you stare in his presence. So let me pray for the church. Can you let me pray for you this morning? Please. Pastor Chris, come with me. Heavenly Father, we recognize that your church belongs to you. We're just servants here. We're just instruments here. We're just conducts here. But this morning, Lord, we just want to present the local church and we ask you for your forgiveness, for you to clean our hearts, to clean our lives, to clean our spirit, so we can see you, so we can yield to you even to those that they might don't need you this morning on this situation in their lives I know they will in the future Father you've been so so good to us you've been gave us to us so much Forgive us, because sometimes we go with too much knowledge and hard heart. But this morning, Lord, we ask him for you forgiveness to start again fresh. So the Holy Spirit can fill us with the eternal perspective to invest in the things they are forever and ever and ever and ever. We ask you these things in you, precious Son, Jesus Christ, in the church says. Thank you, Edgar. I should have put myself first and let him follow up (laughs) next time. Hey, always a treat to hear from Edgar. And, uh, you know, you got to understand that uh, you've got the role of praying significantly for Spanish language ministry, praying for Edgar and his family. Um, A lot of things that God wants to do there, and uh, none of it's going to happen without us uh, prayerfully supporting that ministry. So that's our role. 
my wife and I, we have some friends who are missionaries in China. They serve the Lord there. And man, China is so much different than America. I mean, there's probably a lot of things we can learn from each other. But uh, uh, this couple, they're amazing. They do amazing ministry there. And they love China. They love what they do. But they recognize there's differences in the culture. And one of the things that's really popular in China right now is... Uh, clothing with English writing on it, English words, you know, and they don't even necessarily read what the clothing says, but it's just trendy because it has English writing. And, you know, kind of like if you buy a product that comes from China and the instructions are really poorly translated, a lot of the clothing is like that. It doesn't make any sense. And uh, so but one of the things our friend does is she likes to take pictures of shirts that she finds either on a person or in the store and uh, particularly silly things. She posts them on Instagram. So I'm just going to share a few shirts of China with you this morning. Here's the first one. Starts off strong and really kind of takes a, a nosedive there, kind of falls apart. Here's another one. Doesn't make any sense. Spicy eyes. That's kind of a saying around our house now. What does that mean? I don't know. Uh, here's another one that's kind of gibberish. How pink is your panther? I don't know what that means. Uh, some of them are a little bit better. Here's a couple that are pretty funny. Take a look at this one. Take a second there. Yeah. Uh, here's the next one. That's- it's not bad advice, all things considered. Uh, just for fun, here's another one of my favorites. All you need is milk. Why not? Wise words. Wise words. Here's a little more wisdom from China. That's really more like a first draft. Didn't, didn't quite make it all the way through the editing process. Uh, last but not least, this one might be my favorite. Buy the shoes. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, these are funny, and they're funny because they're trying just a little too hard. Uh, they're trying to appropriate another culture to take what they see happening in American culture and bring it to China, but they're just missing something, missing a little bit. And this morning, you know, we've been focused on unifying cultures and celebrating together, learning from each other. And these shirts from China, they kind of highlight that uh, that's not an easy thing to do. It's, it's, it's a little bit dangerous sometimes to try to bring cultures together, if we're not careful, then that's the result, the shirts of China. But there is a way to do it that's better. There's one thing that is necessary to bring cultures together in a meaningful way, and that's what we're going to see in the scriptures this morning. So uh, we're going to read a lot of the Bible today. Uh, You've been warned. We're continuing in our study of the book of Acts, and we're going to look at uh, all of Acts chapter 10 and part of chapter 11. I know everybody loves to hear that. It's a nice long sermon, but we're going to keep things moving. Don't worry. We're keeping things moving. And since we are going to be reading so much, I just want you to go ahead and open up your Bible or open up your phone, whatever, uh, and just uh, to uh, Acts chapter 10. Acts 10. Just leave it open, and uh, we're going to just dive in here. And so the story we're going to read, it starts with a vision. A very dramatic vision. And visions like the ones that we're going to read about this morning, they don't happen every day. They're unusual. Even in the context of this book, the book of Acts, they're unusual. They're not really any more normal for them than they are for us. And yet we've called this series Wildfire. This, uh, the Holy Spirit, the power behind the book of Acts is like a wildfire, unpredictable and exciting and a little bit dangerous. And that's certainly the case with our passage today. He's got things he wants to teach us, and he's going to use very dramatic means to get his point across. And so let's read the beginning of the story, and we're going to notice several things that God does throughout this story, and then we're going to wrap up with some important takeaways for ourselves. So the beginning of Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need. He prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. 
So this is the first part of the story. We meet this unusual character, Cornelius. He's a centurion, a Roman soldier, and so he's a person of some influence, a person of some wealth, and, and yet there's a more important description of him that Luke offers. He's devout and God-fearing. And now to our ears, that sounds like just a kind description, just nice words you might say about a person. But in fact, God-fearing is actually something of an official description. A God-fearer in this culture is a person who was not a Jew, but who worshipped the God of the Jews, Yahweh. And so this person, he's not a full convert to Judaism, but, but God-fearers followed a lot of the Jewish customs. And here in this introduction to Cornelius, we see him following this, the one custom of a, a set time of prayer. It was a tradition that at three in the afternoon, there were prayers in the temple in Jerusalem, and uh, Jews and God-fearers that weren't in Jerusalem would still stop at that time of the day and pray. Cornelius seems to be in that habit. And one of the other things he does is he gives money to the poor. That was a big common uh, Jewish ritual practice that they, that they had. And so he's a God-fearing man, a man who recognizes the one true God, the God of Israel. And yet for Jews, for people like Peter, he would still have been considered an outsider. Jews would not have had fellowship with him. But you notice that God doesn't seem to be particularly bothered by that because Cornelius has this vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God. And look what the angel tells him. This is amazing. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, you may think that's pretty weird. Uh, Like you're thinking, well, that's never happened to me. I've never had a vision like that. God's never said that to me. But if that's never happened to you, let me just say it's probably because you don't give enough money to your church. (laughs) No, no, I'm teasing, of course. It's a weird event, and it's, it's weird on purpose. The whole story is full of weird events. Don't forget that, because God wants to get our attention here. But what's the most amazing part is here's Cornelius. He's not a Jew. He's an outsider. And yet God responds to his prayers. God responds to the prayers of this outsider. And the angel gives a very specific instructions. He's supposed to go and find Simon, who's also named Peter, the apostle. And so Cornelius has this vision because he's been faithful in the things he knows to do. God responds to his prayers, the prayers of an outsider. And God gives him this vision, but the vision is not just for him. His vision has a purpose for insiders too. And Cornelius' vision is not just for Peter, it's for all of us. God wants to teach the whole world something. This vision has a really big purpose. Another fascinating detail to think about here is this vision's incomplete. God doesn't tell him why he should send for Peter or what he should do when he gets there, any of those kinds of details. The vision's incomplete. In the next part of the story, Peter has his own vision. That's also incomplete. And so, so the outsider and the insider, they need each other. They, they, they both need something from the other. God gives each of them partial information, and until they're together, they don't get everything that they need. They've got to come together. And so Cornelius, he acts in faith, he acts in obedience, and he sends some of his servants and his soldier to Joppa, to the town where Simon Peter is staying. So now let's look at the next part of the story. We pick up scene two with Peter in Joppa, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry. He wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So here's another weird vision, even even weirder than the first, perhaps. And let me just share a couple of observations here. Here's Peter praying, but not just at the set time. The the traditional Jewish prayers were at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., not necessarily at noon. So he's praying at an additional time. He's really in a position to hear from God. And he has this vision. He sees all these animals that are unclean. In other words, the, the traditional Jewish law, the Mosaic law, said you couldn't eat those things. And and this voice tells him, hey, it's lunchtime. Here's this buffet of, of unclean animals. Take your pick and chow down. And yet, all that Peter really understands from this vision is disobey God. And so he argues with the vision. And, you know, 
Here's a tip for you. If you ever have a vision, probably not a good idea to argue with it. Just saying. But Peter, he's a pretty stubborn guy, and he argues with it because all he hears is just disobey God. And he doesn't want to do that. I mean, Peter thinks he knows what's clean and what's unclean. But this vision, just like the first vision that Cornelius had, it has a purpose. Peter thinks he knows what's clean, what's unclean. He thinks the world's neatly divided into insiders and outsiders. But God has something to teach him, and he's going to teach all of us through him. This voice tells him that God can make things clean. The voice says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. God can respond to insiders and outsiders. God doesn't necessarily divide the world into such neat categories the way that Peter might think. And just like Cornelius' vision, again, this vision's incomplete. God doesn't give Peter all the information. In fact, he gets even less information than Cornelius got. So he's really left wondering, trying to make sense of what happened. And this is what the last verse in the section tells us. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. So obviously, these two visions have a connection. God's teaching both of these men something significant. And so now we get to the heart of of the story, verse 24. So the next day, Peter started out with them. Some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. And talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So Peter acts in faith and obedience just like Cornelius did. And he and his companions, they go to Caesarea, they meet with Cornelius. And I can imagine Peter had some time to think about this vision, try to make some sense of it. He starts to understand what God is telling him. He starts to understand what God wants to tell each of us. He explains in verse 28 that that Jewish law forbid a Jew from fellowshipping with a Gentile. Couldn't even go into the house of a Gentile. He's a Jew. He's an insider. He's not supposed to associate with outsiders. But he understands that God can respond to outsiders too. So he's starting to learn what this strange vision means. And little does he know there's more to come, much more. God uses these extraordinary visions to teach insiders and outsiders something. He uses what's next to teach all of us something. So let's keep reading the story. Verse 30. Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Now, before we keep going, it's worth noting that the Lord has not commanded Peter to say anything in particular. So Cornelius is making a little bit of an assumption here, but Peter, he doesn't need any prompting. He doesn't uh, waffle. He doesn't have to wonder what he should share with Cornelius because he knows that Cornelius needs just one thing. The only thing that can bring insiders and outsiders together. Let's keep reading. Uh, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, telling good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Peter shares the good news with them, the good news of the gospel. That's what Cornelius needs. He doesn't need to change his culture. He doesn't need to become an insider before he can be saved. He just needs one thing, the gospel message. All the other pieces fade into the background. The the cultural barriers, they all take a back seat to the gospel message. And let's notice what the content of the gospel message is. Verse 37. You know what's happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. 
They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter gets to the heart of the gospel message, and you could spend a lot of fruitful time uh, study looking at the different ways the gospel is presented in the book of Acts. It's a little bit different each time, but there are a couple of non-negotiable elements. And one of those elements is the identity of Jesus. That's an important element to the gospel because uh, only a person with, with such a unique identity, so to speak, is, is capable of accomplishing what Jesus claims to have done. If Jesus was just an ordinary person then his death is just an ordinary death. It wouldn't accomplish saving anybody. So the identity of Jesus is an important element in the gospel. And in this case, Peter mentions a couple of important aspects to Jesus' identity. Verse 36, he tells Cornelius that Jesus is Lord of all. He also mentions that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. So one key element in the gospel message is the identity of Jesus. Jesus is God. He's Lord of all. He's going to judge each and every person based on their acceptance of him or their rejection of him. And that's important because he's not just a person, but he's a a unique person, a person who's also fully God. His identity is important because if Jesus is not Lord of all, then what he did is not sufficient to pay the punishment that our sins deserve. The other key element of the gospel, not only who Jesus is, but what he's done. And so Peter describes Jesus' actions. Not only was Jesus killed, But he was raised from the dead. He died in order to pay the punishment that our sins deserve. And Jesus being raised from the dead, that's evidence that God was satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus made. Because Jesus himself had no sin of his own, his death was sufficient payment to pay for our sins. When he died, he didn't have any of his own sins to pay for, so he could take on our own sins. And and really, anybody could claim that they're dying to take on sins of the world. Anybody could do that. But Jesus was raised from the dead. That's proof that he's telling the truth about himself. Because not just anybody could do that. Only God could do that. Only God has the power over death. And that resurrection is is proof that his death was sufficient payment for sins. Because he's no longer dead. The payment has been made in full. So with these two key elements of the gospel. Who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Peter now shifts to the very next important thing. Peter shares the response to the gospel. It's good news, but it's good news that demands a response. Look with me at verse 43. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The gospel requires a response of faith, believing in the truth of the gospel, the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done. The gospel needs to be applied to our lives, and that means faith, believing in faith that Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he said he would do. And that response is exactly what happens next in the story. In a story full of weird events, there's one more weird event. Look at the next part of the passage, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, on the outsiders. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So as Peter shares the gospel He gives Cornelius exactly what was needed. And as it turns out, it's exactly what Peter and his companions needed too. Cornelius was an outsider, but he was also a person who had favor from God. His prayers reached God's ears. He'd gotten God's attention. But even still, he needed to hear the gospel, the specific message of who Jesus is and what he's done. It's exactly what Cornelius needed. And as he hears the gospel, he embraces it, And he's saved from sin. And the weird sign that goes along with it, I think that's for Peter's benefit. 
I mean, any time a person embraces the truth about Jesus, the, that person is given the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you and me, the same, uh, we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. But it doesn't necessarily happen with such visible signs as what happens in this story. I think the speaking in tongues, I think that's for Peter's benefit. He finally appreciates all that this vision was trying to teach him, that God doesn't categorize people in the same way that you or I might try to categorize people. God desires everyone to be saved, to embrace the gospel. And God wants to demonstrate without a doubt that Cornelius and his family is saved, the same as Peter and his companions have been. Peter needs to see that response and understand what God wants to teach him. It's a life-changing moment for Cornelius and his family. They were noticed by God, but now God worked to give them exactly what they needed, the gospel. It's a life-changing moment for Peter. He understands that God is not just for insiders. And it's a life-changing moment for the rest of the church. After this happens, Peter shares the story with the church in Jerusalem. Look at the very next part of the story to see how things have changed. We're now in chapter 11. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? I mean, after all that's happened, they kind of get hung up on that. But Peter began, he explained everything to them precisely as it has happened. And since we already know how it happened, skip to verse 15. As I began to speak, Peter says, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remember what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. These early church leaders understood what God wanted them to understand. God used this extraordinary set of events not only to give Cornelius what he needed, but to give Peter what he needed, and finally to give the early church what they needed. They realized that God grants salvation not just to insiders, but also to outsiders. So each of these people had valuable things to take away from the story, and I think God wants us to take some things away as well. I want to share four brief takeaways with us. First takeaway is simply this. God is a God of outsiders. God is a God of outsiders. God has a heart for people who are on the outside. I don't know how old Cornelius was, how long he'd been a religious person, how long he'd been praying to God, but God had a heart for him, for this outsider. And that's true of God not just in this moment, but always. One of the things we can celebrate today is that we are insiders. Regardless of our cultural differences, we're all united by the power of the gospel. We're all in God's family. And God has always been the God of outsiders. Even Jesus taught and understood this truth. In Jesus' very first sermon, the first sermon we ever have of Jesus, he talks about the same idea. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is preaching and he tells a story from the Old Testament, a story about the prophet Elijah. Elijah lived through a famine in Israel. The entire area was hit by a famine, lasted a long time. And in that time, God sent Elijah to minister to a widow, but not a widow in Israel, not an insider, but an outsider. This is what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years, there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So see, Jesus points out in both these cases with Elijah and Elisha that that God sent them to outsiders. God is a God of outsiders. He always has been. This widow Elijah went to, she was an outsider, a religious outsider, a cultural outsider, financial outsider, in every way an outsider. But God had a heart for her. That's the message Jesus shared in his very first sermon. He set the tone for all that he wanted to do by letting people know that God was a God of outsiders. And they did not respond very well. After Jesus' first sermon, they tried to kill him. The story tells us this. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. 
My first sermon got canceled by an ice storm. I'll have to tell you that story sometime. But Jesus' first sermon was not well received. All these insiders did not want to acknowledge that God is the God of outsiders. But the story from Acts teaches the same thing. That's our first takeaway. And maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like an outsider. I mean, we've talked a lot today about different cultures, worshipped as, uh, as different cultures together, united by the gospel, but sometimes we can still feel like outsiders. But God is the God of outsiders. And if that's you, if you feel like an outsider, I want you to hear this message of hope and love today. God sees you and he loves you. He died for you to bring you into his family. And if that's true, if God is a God of outsiders, then then how should we respond? That's our next takeaway. The second takeaway is this. Don't say no when God says yes. Peter models obedience for us when he goes. He doesn't understand what's happening, but he goes to Cornelius. He, he goes with these strangers to Caesarea. And he goes into the house of Cornelius, even though he thought that God's law had said not to do that. But he goes where he senses God leading, even though it's uncomfortable. So let me just ask you, where can you get uncomfortable? What might God be asking you to do that you've put off because it makes you uncomfortable? Or maybe a better way to say it is this, where in your life Are you too comfortable? Is your life so routine, so safe, that God can't get in to do the work that he wants to work in you and through you? It's time to shed comfort and embrace the gospel. And maybe that means we cross cultural boundaries. Let's not be scared of that. Don't say no when God says yes. A third takeaway I want us to consider is this. Let's go to them. Don't make them come to us. That's what Peter models in this story. He goes to Cornelius. That's by God's design. God doesn't lead the outsider to go to Peter. He leads the insider to go out. Let's not make people come to us to have to get the gospel. We should be bringing the gospel to every part of our valley. Uh, A few weeks ago in the series, we talked about the fact that the mission came before the church, that God's mission to outsiders was in place before the church existed. Christ told us that in his very first sermon. If submission comes first, then the whole reason the church exists is to promote the gospel, to go out. So let's not sit in here waiting and hoping for people to come to us. Let's go to them, living out the mission, letting the church be an extension of the gospel, not just a landing place for it. Uh, Here at Trinity, just a couple of weeks ago, we had the first meeting of our missions team, a team of people dedicated to this very idea, to to taking the gospel out into the world, not making people come to us. And we had our first meeting, so I can't tell you all the great things that we've done yet, that'll come, but but I can tell you, this is a team of people who is fired up for this idea, this, this mission that God has called all of us to. I mean, being in that room in that first meeting was like being in a room full of hungry puppies, so much energy, just everybody's chomping at the bit to, to, to take the gospel out the doors, excited to get to work in this area. So I want you to know some, some good stuff is on the horizon, but we should all be hungry puppies for this kind of thing. We should all be going out, taking the gospel out, not just waiting for people to find their way in here. One more takeaway. In this story, Peter shares the gospel message with Cornelius and his family, and even though Cornelius, he was a real stand-up guy, I mean, given to the poor, praying even more than you and I do, God understood that there was something else that he needed. He needed to hear and embrace the gospel message. And I know there's people here who need the same thing. And maybe you're a good person. Like Cornelius, you're doing a lot of the right things, living a good life. You're a good person. But God has something even better for you. God does not want you to be a good person. In fact, the Bible says even the the best gifts, the best qualities that we have to offer, they're filthy rags compared to what God has. He doesn't want your best. He wants to give you something even better. He wants to give you himself, and he wants to make all of us new. One of Peter's friends, James, says it this way in the book he wrote. He says, don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. In other words, uh, all the good that we might take credit for actually comes from God. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Then he says this, 
He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So see, we're already born, and yet James tells us here that God wants to give us birth. What does that mean? It means that what God wants for us is not just being good, but something even better. The fancy Bible word for it is regeneration. It means new life. God wants to make us new, to give us his goodness. Just like he didn't leave Cornelius good and kind and noble, though he was, he didn't leave him alone. In the same way, God doesn't want to leave you and me as just good people. He wants to give us new life, new birth. Another way the Bible describes it says this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That's what God wants to do. That's why Jesus came. His death and his resurrection, his own new life, pay the punishment that our sins deserved. He died so that we could have new life, a new birth, a new creation. So our final takeaway is simply this. Embrace the new life that Jesus wants to give you. Just like Cornelius, you can have new life. All it takes is for you to accept the gospel. As we said, it demands a response, and belief is that response, faith. Believe the good news that Jesus died to give you new life. You don't have to go through any fancy ritual. You don't have to come up here and make a public declaration. You could do it right there where you're sitting. You could just bow your head and talk to God. He wants to hear from you. Just tell him that you want that new life. You don't have to rely on your own goodness anymore. You can have a new and a better life through faith in Jesus. So let's all bow our heads. Let's bow our heads together and reflect on these four takeaways. And maybe for you, maybe just accepting the gospel for the first time is what you need. You can do that right now and talk to God. And maybe for some of us, we need to reflect on these other takeaways. Maybe we need to just commit ourselves to serving God with more passion, not saying no when God says yes, not being afraid to be uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you need to pray and think about a cultural boundary you've been afraid to cross or hesitant to to cross. Wherever God's leading you, whatever he's speaking to you, just take a moment to think about that and we'll pray together. God, we are in awe of you. We worship you because we know you're a God of outsiders. And uh, we are all outsiders. We all are in need of you, the new life that you have to offer. And even though some of us have embraced that new life already, we've embraced the truth of the gospel, we know we still need you each and every day. And we pray that you would take the examples that we've seen in the scripture this morning and drive them home into our hearts. Guide us as we go about our week, Lord. Give us what we need to follow you with whole hearts. And I want to pray too for the person who uh, is trying to live on their own goodness, trying to to just rest on the the value that they think they have. And yet uh, we know that the real value that we have comes from you, comes from you giving us your own goodness, your own righteousness. And I want to pray that that person who's, who's wrestling with that, that they would hear from you, that they would come to understand the truth of the gospel and apply it to their lives, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.